We can turn with me your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 2. Prophet Jonah, chapter 2. I don't know what the English editors were doing because chapter 1, verse 17 goes with chapter 2 in the Hebrew. So even though I said Jonah 2, we're actually going to start at 117. Uh, 117 goes with chapter 2. So uh, I'll begin reading at chapter 1, verse 17, and we'll do the entire chapter of Jonah uh, uh, chapter two after verse 17. So Jonah one, verse 17, all the way to the end of chapter two. If you don't know where Jonah is, Obadiah, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, verse 17 of chapter one. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Amen. Well, let us pray. Our gracious God, thank you for the deliverance of your people from death. Thank you that though we die physically in this world and we pass into the next, we know that because of Christ, we have everlasting life and we do not have to go through and endure everlasting death forever. Thank you. This is because of what Christ has done for us. Thank you that he was the one uh, who descended into hell. He was the one who died and was buried and we're thankful that he is the one who was raised, and we're thankful that we shall be raised with him. And thank you, O God, that even as we make our way to that celestial city, uh, even when we backslide, you are a God who rede- uh, re- renews us, you're a God who uh, renovates us, you're a God who um, uh, uh, shows our backsliding, and thank you that we can find renewal with you uh, because of Christ and what he has done. And so we ask that you would hear our cries and our prayers, that you would forgive us of our sins. Please forgive us for not obeying your word and doing what is right. But we're thankful that all our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that when we haven't prayed in a long time, we can come and pray to you. And because of Christ and because of your new covenant promises, you hear us. And so we ask that you'd hear us now by your spirit. Hear us now because of Christ that you would help us to uh, understand what your word says, help us to understand what it means for our hearts and lives, and help us to honor and glorify you in all that we do as we come to consider Jonah, come to consider your salvation, come to consider your mercy, and just how fearful death really is. So be with us now by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, affliction and suffering is what we all have to deal with in this present evil age. 
Well, if we believe uh, the book of Job, we can't pinpoint every hardship on specific sins, but perhaps there are sometimes there are many afflictions that we do suffer that are a direct result of our own sins and our own backsliding, of our own wickedness that we bring upon ourselves. And when we consider that very reality, it makes God's restoration all the more remarkable. When we consider what we have done and the afflictions that we brought upon ourselves, it's all the more fascinating and comforting to hear about a God who restores us even from those very things we have done. Even if we're at the point of death, God is pleased to redeem us out of the pit. I think this is what we see with Jonah's prayer and deliverance here in chapter 2, and it is what makes God's mercy so extraordinary. Remember, this book is all about God's mercy. It's all about God's sovereignty. Remember, Jonah is an 8th century prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. There were no good kings in the northern kingdom, but remember, Jonah has a unique call out of all the prophets. All the prophets stayed in Israel, but Jonah had the call to go out of Israel, to go on a missionary journey uh, to the city of Nineveh and to proclaim and call them to repent because their sins have gone up to God most high. Well, of course, Jonah doesn't want to do that. Jonah is a nationalist. He doesn't want the enemies of Israel to receive mercy. So what does he do? He flees in the direct opposite direction. He goes the other way from Nineveh. God says, arise and go up. Instead, Jonah goes down, 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 down. And we saw that last time, how he disobeyed the voice of the Lord. He went away from the voice of the Lord, but you cannot flee from God in any way. God is everywhere present. God is everywhere in his being. Uh, but uh, certainly when it says he fled from the presence of the Lord, it was his favorable shining face. But as Jonah learned, you cannot flee from the Lord. So God judges Jonah. He brings this tempest upon him. Uh, we see that Jonah doesn't really care a whole lot. He's sleeping. He's just throw me into the sea. And yet in Jonah 2, we see God's deliverance of Jonah even after his judgment upon him. And I think what we see in chapter 2, uh, or the problem that we see in chapter 2, twofold, how fearful physical death is, but also how much more fearful eternal death truly is. And when we consider how fearful death is, death is a direct result of the fall, and it's something we will all lightly pass through. But because it's normal after the fall, we all think it's just a natural kind of course of life. We all think everybody is going to pass through it. And it is true. But we must not forget that death is going to be very painful. I'm sorry to say that to you on a night like this. But we have to be reminded of that very thing. We're not, I'm not afraid to die. I mean, I'm afraid of how I'm going to die, but I'm not afraid of the actual prospect of dying. But the actual dying itself is not going to be a fun thing. I think the way Jonah prays, we see that here as he's in the belly of the fish. He describes in vivid detail how fearful it is. Now, what is more fearful is a spiritual death. That is everlasting judgment that God brings. Now, death is just a passageway into the afterlife. And when one dies without Christ Jesus, they pass into eternal death. They pass into hell or the unfavorable presence of the Lord. That is far more terrifying 
that is far more uh, concerning than just physical death. That's why one must consider where they will go should they die, and they must flee to Christ now. Flee the wrath to come in the Lord Jesus Christ now, because there is mercy in him. And so even though Jonah's prayer reminds us and teaches us about God's judgment, it also teaches us about God's great mercy toward a backsliding saint. And certainly the fish uh, uh, is the backdrop or the setting of this. We all like the fish. Jonah was swallowed by a fish. But the fish really is just the setting of the prayer of Jonah. So it's all about God's mercy toward a backsliding saint. And we'll look at this under two headings this evening. First of all, how Yahweh hears the backslider, 117 to 26. Then secondly, how Yahweh is merciful to the backslider in verses 7 through 10. So how Yahweh hears the backslider and how Yahweh is merciful to the backslider. And notice in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 17 to 2, 4, we see how the cast out prophet is in the presence of the Lord. And so the setting and context is 117 and 2a. Remember, Jonah has fled his commission, uh, and God in his providence, it leads to the salvation of the mariners, despite Jonah's backsliding. They say, throw him into the sea, or he says, throw me into the sea, everything will be fine. They throw him into the sea, and the sea is calm. And then notice what God does for Jonah, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. It wasn't so much it was a basking shark with its mouth open, you know, floating along in the water. All of a sudden, Jonah just gets swallowed by that. No, it was appointed by God for a specific purpose. It was used of God in a specific way. Now, there is debate about whether or not the fish uh, resembles judgment or resembles salvation. I think I even mentioned that it was Jonah's salvation last time. But as I studied this week, I think I've come to see it more as Jonah's judgment, especially in the connection uh, with Jesus Christ, how Jonah is in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And the way Jonah describes his time in that fish, it sounds a lot like death. It sounds a lot like judgment. Now, thankfully, in his death, he calls upon God most high, but the fish really is the place where Jonah cries out in his judgment or God judgment upon him. When he vomits him out, uh, the fish vomits Jonah out, that is his salvation. But God has brought judgment upon him. Jonah fled the voice of the Lord, the tempests, God's judgment, the fish, God's judgment, But as Jonah is in the belly of that fish, he cries out to the Lord God most high. Now, I don't know about you, but I, when I was listening to someone preach on Jonah, they mentioned the movie Pinocchio. And sometimes we think that perhaps when Jonah was in the fish, it was like Geppetto in Monstro, right? Or I remember watching Superbook years ago and Jonah's praying in the fish, kind of like, you know, half in the water. I don't know if that's probably what's going on. I don't know if it's this tranquil time, so to speak, especially the way he describes. I don't think any of us would want to be swallowed uh, by a giant fish. But in any case, it was the way in which God had prepared him a great fish. It was the place that Jonah cried out to God, uh, even in the judgment that God brought upon him. So he has this time in the fish, verse 17. He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It's the setting of God's judgment and Jonah's prayer, and the fish will deliver him as he vomits him out of his belly. 
And so in that fish, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. That's remarkable, isn't it? Jonah has fled Yahweh's presence. Jonah hasn't really said much other than, yep, it's because of me. Throw me uh, into the sea. Yes, I do fear Yahweh. What a terrible witness that is. This is all because of me. Yet finally he comes and he prays to his Lord. It requires him to come to the gates of Sheol. It requires him to come to the gates of hell and the gates of death before he cries out to God most high. Yet he does. He does so from this fish. And thankfully, it shows that we really can call upon our God, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love from anywhere, even in the belly of a fish, even in certain death, even 11th hour conversions are still conversions and still sinners saved by grace. If you're an unbeliever, while there's still death, or sorry, while there's still breath, there's still hope, flee the wrath to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jonah cries out to his God. He's a backsliding saint. And boy, he got really close to death. And I've even heard someone say that perhaps Jonah did actually die. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know what to think about that. But I mean, he's in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. There's a connection with the Lord, isn't there? I mean, Jesus makes that connection. I don't know, you know, if that's entirely true. But we can certainly see that he was close to and near death with what he says. And notice his prayer proper uh, in verses 2 through 9. And notice in verses 2 through 3, we see his prayer in his affliction. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. And I drew this out a little bit this morning, that notice he says, my affliction. The tumultuous sea being cast into the storming ocean is because of Jonah. (laughs) It was because of Jonah's wickedness. It was because of Jonah's disobedience. It was because of Jonah's fleeing from God most high, yet he still calls it his affliction. See, when we consider suffering in the world in which we live, here's how we define it. Sin and the effects of sin. Even if we uh, sin uh, against God Most High and bring it upon ourselves, it is still called an affliction. Solomon says the way of the sinner is hard. When someone engages in sin, when someone engages in wickedness, it only leads to sadness, death, and destruction. And so Jonah here, he recognizes what I did, or he's going to, he calls it his and my affliction it was because of his disobedience his affliction was because of his own sin Yahweh answered him I think sometimes in life we think people deserve what they get and it's probably true people deserve what they get but notice God's mercy I cried out in my affliction this was all because of me and yet Yahweh answered I cried out to the Lord and he listened I cried out to the Lord and he heard That's how gracious our God is, isn't he? Even when the afflictions we bring upon ourselves and we ask for relief from them, God does provide for us. Yahweh still hears. And Yahweh still hears even in certain death. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Even from hell, we could say, 
Now, that language of Sheol is difficult to really understand what it means. It probably refers to the realm of the dead, the netherworld, in any case, at least at that time. But it really highlights someone has died. They've come to death, but not just a physical death, but a spiritual death, being separated from the presence of God, being separated from the favorable presence of God. Hell is going to be everlasting wrath of God, the unfavorable presence of God, but um, uh, heaven is going to be the favorable presence of God forever. But out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And when he's trying, talking about the belly, he's talking about the fish. He's not thinking this is great. I'm just sitting here waiting until I'm vomited out of the fish. No, I cried out to God. It was the place of his judgment. And all the language of verse 3 highlights how he recognizes where his judgment came from. You, we know it was the sailors who did it. They threw him into the sea. But you, oh God, cast me into the sea. Yes, the sailors were instruments in the hands of an angry God, but it was God who did it. It was God who cast him, and Jonah recognizes where the judgment and the displeasure came from. You cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, all and the flood surrounded me, talking about death, talking about sinking, talking about everything coming over one, uh, one. all your billows and your waves, they all passed over me. I cried out in this place, and you answered me. Now, it probably was the case, Jonah being a prophet of God Most High, probably knew the Psalms, and there's a lot of allusions and connections with many of the psalms in psalm 130 i cried out i cried out to him psalm 18 i cried out to him we're going to see other psalms as well but as a prophet he knew to pray god's thoughts back to him even in his time of great and great distress so it was his prayer and his affliction as he is sinking going down 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 and as he's gone down to sheol he cries out to his God. Don't forget, don't, don't miss the down downs, right? He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the belt, into the boat. He goes down all the downs. Uh, that's, that's on purpose there uh, for us. And so he's going down to Sheol. All these things surround me. It was your judgment. We could say, as one preacher said, the wages of sin is death. So all these things came over me. But he prays and cries out in his affliction, and Yahweh answers. And then in verse 4, notice his prayer in Yahweh's absence. Now, yes, Yahweh's unfavorable right now. Presence is before him with all of the tumult in the seas and sinking down into Sheol. But notice verse 4, then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Again, he recognizes he recognizes who it is. I was cast out of your sight. It was what you have done. It was what I have done. Yet, notice where he looks. He, he realizes he cannot escape God most high. No one can escape God most high. God is everywhere present. The question is, is it his favorable presence that's on you in Christ? Or is it his unfavorable presence because of your sin? And so here he recognizes, you cast me out of your sight, yet he looks somewhere to find mercy. Yet I will look toward your holy temple. Yet I will look 
to him. I will call upon him. I will look toward your holy temple. The temple in Jerusalem certainly plays a role as he's going away from Jerusalem, as he's going away from the covenant people. He probably has, doesn't know which way's up as he's in the fish, yet he cries out to God. And it's not just the temple in Jerusalem, but he's crying out to God who has his temple in heaven. He's crying out to God for aid and for help. The backsliding prophet knows where to look in his plight. He knows where to look in his backsliding. Here's where God has brought me in his chastisement, but I know he's a God of mercy. I will look to him in his holy temple. I have fled from the temple, yet I will look to him, the God who is in heaven, who dwells with his people. So the deep, all this has come over him. And in Psalm 42, the language is used of the deep when the enemies surround. Uh, often in the Psalms, the deep is used as when we're overwhelmed by sin and enemies around us. I mean, he's actually overwhelmed uh, by the waters. He's actually overwhelmed. How to make the Psalms personal, I guess you could say. He actually is sinking down deep and all those things are literally coming upon him, literally, and also uh, God's judgment as well, but he prays to God, he looks to God, he looks to his holy temple, he calls upon him. Even though he was away from his presence, he looks to the favorable presence of God. I will look again towards your holy temple. And then verses five and six, we see the dead prophet revived by the Lord. Notice where he prays when he approaches death. Well, verses five and six, the waters surround even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. He's sinking down, down, down. Verse 6, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. I went down to the earth with its bars that closed behind me. Life was closing behind me. The earth was closing behind me. I'm at the bottom of the ocean. He's at the depths of the earth down to Sheol. Death approaches, but verse 6 at the end. Yet. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. He recognizes where his salvation lies. He forgot it for a while, and it required fleeing from God and God sending a storm and being thrown into the waters that are storming and being swallowed by a fish. Sometimes we need that, right? Maybe it's not a literal fish that we're swallowed by, but sometimes we just need God's providential reminders of the backsliding we're engaging in. Hopefully we just hear it. Hopefully we just hear it in his word. Hopefully we're just disciplined, but sometimes we're not. And thankfully God comes and he shakes us out of our slumbers, doesn't he? And certainly a fish would have awoken anybody. Even Jonah though was sleeping for a while there as well, but God awakens him and he calls upon his God. You have brought up my life from the pit Oh, Lord, my God. And that's why we did read Psalm 103 at the outset, verse 4. You brought up my life from destruction. Why do we praise the Lord God most high? Because he saved us from certain death, has he not? Yes, we're going to die physically, but he saved us from spiritual death. Because Christ himself went down, down, down in death for us, that we might be raised with him. We cannot miss that. I'm going to draw out Matthew 12 and Luke 11 at the end, but we cannot miss that connection because Jesus himself makes that very connection. Christ goes and dies 
on our behalf. He bears the wrath of God upon himself and that we might have life in him. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Now, thankfully, I think what this teaches us is how God hears his covenant people who haven't prayed in a while. Do you struggle with prayer? Do you backslide? Sometimes. I know you do, because I do, you do, we all do. It's part and parcel of the Christian walk in this world. But sometimes when we don't pray for a while, we need to be reminded of a God who hears us when we pray. And thankfully, if we haven't prayed in a while, we can go pray to him, and he hears. Why is prayer so hard? Why is it so difficult? I think it's because it's something that is so needed for us, yet it's something we don't make the time to do. That's why we must labor in it. I mean, we don't make time for everything else, but we don't make time to pray to God most high. Why is the prayer meeting the least attended meeting in like any church? I'm not picking on people, but I'm just saying like the least attended meeting across any church spectrum. I went to a church of a thousand years ago. You know how many people attended prayer? Ten. Ten people in a church of a thousand. Why is that? I don't under, I don't know. Because prayer is so very hard to do. But thankfully, we can call upon our God and he hears us. You know who else this was important for? Israel. Israel was a backsliding, wicked nation. Remember, the lessons in Jonah aren't just for Nineveh, but the lessons in Jonah aren't just for us. But the lessons in Jonah were meant to be for the people in the 8th century who were backsliding and going from God most high. If they turned to God, they would have found mercy in him. What's more remarkable is that he hears us. And again, my affliction, you cast me. We can pray to our covenant God boldly approach his throne and find renewal, renewal and encouragement and restoration in God most high. So if you're struggling to pray, just pray, ask for forgiveness. God is the God who hears the backslider in his backsliding. So that's how Yahweh hears the backslider. Let's then look secondly at how Yahweh is merciful to the backslider in verses seven through 10. Notice the remembrance of the prophet in verses 7 and 8. Again, he goes down, down. His life is almost taken, as most say. Some say it is completely taken. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. He cries out to God, and Yahweh hears him. Again, he looks into the temple. He looks to God. He looks to the covenant Lord. He prays to him. Gil says... Uh, it's talking about his covenant promises. Remember, Jonah is going to get mad at God because God is a God who's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And Jonah's calling on God who is slow to anger and abounding in mercy for him. He just doesn't like it for Nineveh. Uh, but Gil says his covenant and his promises, his former mercies and loving kindness, the gracious experiences he had of these in past, times past, he remembered he was a God, gracious and merciful, ready to forgive, healing the backslider, uh, backslidings of his people, and still loved them freely and tenderly received and embraced them when they returned to him. Jonah remembered that in his affliction, and he prays to his God, and he looks to his holy temple. 
And so the Lord hears in his holy temple. Again, in the old covenant was in Jerusalem, but in the new covenant reality, it's because of Christ. And even for Jonah, he's calling upon the God of heaven and appealing to him. Gill says, for it can hardly be thought that Jonah and the fish's belly could tell which way the temple stood and looked towards that. But he looked upwards and heavenwards. He looked up to God in his holy temple in heaven. And though he was afraid, he would not look down upon him in a way of grace and mercy. He was resolved to look up to God in the way of prayer and supplication, and particularly for the further encouragement of his faith and hope. He looked to the Messiah, the antitype of the temple, ark, and mercy seat, and for whose sake he might hope his prayers would be heard and answered. He remembers who God is, and he appeals to God when he calls upon him as he looks to his holy temple. And then in verse 8, we see perhaps one of the key messages of the entire book. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. It was a message for the heathen. It's a message for anyone. And it was a message for Israel that they should forsake their uh, idols and turn to the true and living God. God is a God of loving kindness, mercy, and justice. And one can find forgiveness in him by forsaking their idols, turning from their idols to the true and living God. If one worships their own idols, their idols don't listen, their idols don't hear. Psalm 115 Dagon had to be picked back up in 1 Samuel 5. He fought, fell over. His arms fell off. His body was just a torso. He's just a torso. What kind of God is that? But if one worshiped those, thi those things, then they forsake their own mercy. Because there's only one God we can find mercy in. God is the God of righteous justice. But God is the God of righteous mercy. And the way we have righteousness and mercy is in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ dies upon that cross, it's penal and substitutionary. The penalty that we owed was nailed to that cross. Christ stood in our stead on our behalf, and the wrath of God was poured out upon him in our stead that we do not have to fear when we go to the judgment. We are forgiven in him. We are not guilty in him. But in Christ, we see justice and mercy come together because of what he has done. He's the God of justice, but the God of loving kindness. And those who believe on Christ shall find mercy in him. This is perhaps alludes to Psalm 31, verses 6 uh, and 7. It's quite a few Psalms, as I said, that he alludes to. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you've considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. So mercy comes from God. Those who regard their worthless idols forsake their own mercy. And then we see in verses 9 and 10, the praise from the prophet. Notice his sacrifice in verse 9. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. That's similar to the mariners, right? 
That was a sign of their forgiveness and salvation. Verse 16 of chapter one, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Certainly includes for Jonah, the ceremonial offerings to do what is pleasing to God most high, but also the voice of thanksgiving. I will praise God for what he has done. I will offer with my lips the voice of praise for all that he has done for us. I will sacrifice with that voice of thanksgiving. His gratitude was seen not just his voice, but also with the offering that he brings. So he will sacrifice. Not only is he called to God, God is heard, but he's also going to praise God and give him the glory and give him honor, not just with his lips, but he's going to come with a sacrifice according to the old covenant ways because of what God has done for him. And he says, I will pay what I have vowed. Perhaps this is a pledge of the sacrifice, but also the pledge to fulfill his commission. I will do what God has called me to do. Took him a while to figure that out. Thankfully, God, again, giant fish, you know, storm, but we finally got there. I will pay what I have vowed. I will do what the Lord has called me to do. Should he be saved? And he will be saved, and he will do that very thing in chapter 3. But notice his recognition. Salvation is of the Lord. Another key message in the entire book, isn't it? Salvation doesn't come from worthless idols. Salvation doesn't come from law-keeping. Salvation comes from God and God alone. God saved the heathen mariners. God brought up Jonah out of that of the pit and God is merciful and gracious to save wretched sinners like you and I we saw this in Psalm 3:8 salvation is of the Lord Isaiah 45:17 look unto me all ye ends of the earth and be ye saved salvation is of the Lord and Jonah learned that he knew that but he was reminded of that in the belly of the fish Henry says he only can work salvation, and he can do it, uh, do it, uh, be the danger and distress ever so great. He has promised salvation to his people that trust in him. All the salvations of his church in general and of particular saints were wrought by him. He is the savior of those that believe. Salvation is still of him, as it always has been. From him alone it is to be expected, and on him we are to depend for it. Jonah's experience shall encourage others in all ages to trust in God as the God of their salvation. All that read this story shall say with assurance, say with admiration that salvation is of the Lord and is sure to all that belongs to him. Hopefully we can confess that. Hopefully we believe that salvation is of the Lord. And then notice in verse 10, God delivers Jonah. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. The fish of judgment is the one who vomits him and delivers him from Sheol, or God is the one who delivers him using this fish. And I think what we see in these verses is how merciful God is to his covenant people who backslide. Not only does he hear, he's very long suffering with us, isn't he? That's why in the New Testament it's called his fatherly displeasure and how in Hebrews 13, sometimes God chastises us like any good father would. He disciplines us like any 
good father would. And a lot of times you don't like God's discipline because it's not fun. But I mean, he says in Hebrews 13 that it's not fun in the moment, but it's good for us. And thankfully, God in many ways chastises us and disciplines us to remind us uh, how much we need him, how much we need to look to him, how much we're backsliding. God is very good to do that thing. And thankfully, he hears those who call upon him. Those who backslide are still part of the covenant people, and he is still our covenant God. His covenant promises do not fail, and that is an assurance and an encouragement for the downtrodden, for the overly sensitive, and those who are legitimately backslidden. He has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you because of Christ and what he has done. Our refuge is in him and in his word. So he hears the repentant, but also, and this is where we'll close, he restores the dead. This is where the New Testament application comes in, in Luke 11 and Matthew 12. Uh, We'll look at Luke 11 first, and then Matthew 12. They're both saying the same thing, but they nuance things just a little bit differently. In Luke 11, 29 and 30, It's all in the context of how the crowds or the Pharisees want a sign from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has done many signs and wonders, and yet they still seek a sign. In fact, the Pharisees were even waiting for Jesus to do a sign on the Sabbath that they might find a reason to arrest him. So they didn't really want a sign. They just wanted to get him, right? And so uh, Jesus says to them, this is an evil generation, verse 29. It seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. And so we're going to talk about the sign more in Matthew chapter 12. But Jonah and his time in the belly of the fish is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. But in Luke's emphasis, verse 30, for as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, as a sign of forgiveness, as a sign of resurrection, as a sign of life, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. That is, if they did not see all those other signs, they're not going to believe the main sign. And the main sign that testifies to who Christ is, is his resurrection. Jesus says to the Pharisees at his show trial, you will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, or sit at the right hand of God and coming with the clouds of heaven. His resurrection and his ascension and his session is a sign of who he is. And yet many of them were still hardened to that. We don't need a sign. We have Christ in him crucified. The sign that he refers to here is being in the belly or being in death for three days and being raised on that third day. But also... In verse 32, Jesus equates the men of Nineveh, or he highlights how the men of Nineveh actually believe or or repented versus the current generation. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment from this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the repeaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater one than Jonah is here. It shows how hard-hearted Israel as a nation was at the time of Christ. Nineveh will condemn you because you've rejected Christ. One greater than Jonah is here. So that seems to be Luke's emphasis. 
And then Matthew also has a similar emphasis in Matthew 12, uh, but in Matthew 12, 40. Thirty-nine and forty, similar context. Scribes and Pharisees, we want a sign. And he answered in verse thirty-nine: "And an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights." In the heart of the earth. He also talks about the men of Nineveh as well, but Matthew explicitly draws the connection between the three days and three nights in the fish and Christ's three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Christ was buried, Christ really died, and Christ was raised. And Jonah's time in the belly of the fish is a type of that very thing. God redeems us from death, from spiritual death, because Christ was the one who died for us, that we might have life in him. And thankfully, because Christ has been raised from the dead, one day we shall be raised with him because of what he has done for us, how he is the first fruits of the resurrection, and Jonah testifies to that very thing. God is merciful, God is gracious, and God redeems sinners' life from the pit. Well, let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you again for your plan of redemption. Thank you that Jonah is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is greater than Jonah. Thank you that Christ himself is the one who went and was died and uh, was buried and descended into hell and was raised on the third day. Thank that he ascended into heaven. Thank that he is seated at the right hand. Thank that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. Thank you that he has shown to be who he is. Thank you that he is the one who reigns supreme. And thank you that he doesn't just show to be who he is, but he did it for undeserving, wretched sinners like us. Thank you that he died that we might live. Thank you that though we die, we do not need to fear um, the life to come because of the blessings we have in Christ. Thank you that you shall walk with us in whatever means of death awaits for your people. And thank you that we shall cross that river. And when we cross that river, uh, there shall be everlasting uh, glory, everlasting uh, happiness, everlasting peace. And thank you for the promise that Christ shall come again to call forth those who are his, call forth all out of the graves, those who have believed to everlasting life, those that have not believed to everlasting condemnation. Thank you that one manifests your justice, but one manifests your blessed mercy. And thank you that it includes wretched sinners like us. So we pray that you would hear us and forgive us for our backsliding Hear us and forgive us for when we do not listen to what your word says. And thank you that you are the God who does hear us in all our affliction. So be with us now by your spirit. Give us strength for the day. Give us strength for tomorrow. Give us a good night's rest as we make our way to that celestial city. So be with us now by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.